0: Welcome to the Audiences Podcast, the show that helps you discover new audiences and learn how to develop your own. I'm your host, Francesco Dorazio. I'm the founder and CEO of Pulsar, an audience intelligence platform for researchers, marketeers and PR
1: professionals. And I'm Sal Morton, producer of the Audiences Podcast and person in charge of keeping us all on track. So what's the podcast about, friend? so every
0: episode focuses on a cultural trend an idea a brand or a new emerging behavior and ask our expert guest three simple questions about it who's the audience of the thing how has that audience evolved over the past few years and where is he going
1: next so this episode the audience of generosity we're talking to kathleen murphy toms from giving tuesday so kathleen i mean isn't she one of the most coolest people you've ever met, first of all?
0: I mean, I love um, I love Kath. She's been a friend and a collaborator for many years. And uh, Giving Tuesday is awesome. She's been instrumental to building their brand and building their organization from the ground up. And she's done more amazing things before them as well that you will um, hear about in conversation with her. Uh, the reason why I wanted to get um, Kathleen on a podcast is because generosity makes the perfect subject for um, a deeply changing audience. And the reason why unions of Generosity has been changing radically over the last mm-hmm. 15 years is because of social media. And effectively, you've gone from something that was quite top-down as a process of philanthropy that was based on a few people um, kind of like um, lobbying a few other people with a lot of means to contribute to causes and support causes and projects to um, a kind of like a crowdsourcing mass uh, bottom-up effect that is driven by virality dynamics on social media which is what Given Tuesday has been the first organization to really harness and, uh, and developed into um, a global game-changing uh, Um, kind of like opportunity organization, business, everything. They raise billions and they involve billions of people every year. And it's really exciting to have Kathleen on the show.
1: Yeah, I think generosity is a great way of looking at audiences as being something that can be very powerful and create change, like you said, from the bottom up. So yeah, it's just very cool to hear that straight from Kathleen um, and all of her expertise at Giving Tuesday. But yeah, shall we get into it?
0: Let's do it. After a pandemic, in the middle of a war, and in an, in and out of potential global recessions, generosity is on people's minds more than ever. But after 15 years of social media, the conversation has become more inclusive, has become louder, but also more impactful, and at this point, vital for any organizations that is doing fundraising. Um, The use of technology, including online platforms, crowdfunding, and social media has basically transformed the way people engage with philanthropy. And these tools make it easier for individuals to donate, raise funds, and connect with causes that they care about. But we're also facing some challenges. As news continues about high inflation, cost of living increases, stock market volatility, there have been many discussions about how this is impacting charitable giving programs and what's next for this space. Joining me today, tackling all these questions, is good friend and collaborator Kathleen Murphy-Thoms, who's the director of digital strategy and comms at Giving Tuesday. Kat studies the use of digital tools within social movements, particularly their use in shifting power, creating mass mobilization, and achieving global equity. She has coached thousands of social impact leaders and grassroots organizers from nearly every continent on how not only to generate funds for their causes, but to inspire and mobilize groundswell movements to create systemic change. She's an adjunct faculty member at the Center for Global Affairs at New York University, where she teaches social change makers how to develop innovative content marketing and digital strategies to activate and engage new audiences. Sounds awesome. Welcome to Audiences, Kat, and thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Fran. This is a delight to be with you today, as always. We always have such great conversations. I'm looking forward to this one
0: massively looking forward to this one. So how are you today? And where are you?
2: I'm great. Uh, I'm in Chicago, where I am typically. I've been doing a little more traveling uh, than recent years lately, but I am in Chicago. My favorite
0: place to be. That's a very low bar to beat. Right. Uh, Two tears? traveled. <laughs> right. <laughs> we finally got freedom of movement again. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into this incredible job that you're doing today about Teaching the world how to create movements and make change.
2: Sure, um, I came up. So, so being here in Chicago, which is my heart and soul. Uh, when you meet somebody from Chicago, they will say this: "This is like it's a whole being and a whole presence when you're from Chicago." Um, I came up in community organizing on uh, the South Side of Chicago, which, incidentally, you will have heard are once upon a time. Uh, president, discuss as well, whom I know and love. Uh, I was on the Obama 08 campaign. Uh, and it, it, it was the joy of a lifetime. It was the experience of a lifetime. I was super, super young at that time. And coming up in that and out of that, I, once the campaign was over, I and uh, others, it wasn't just me, saw a need in the social sector. Uh, to adopt some of the tools that we had effectively used uh, that were novel at the time uh, to move people to action toward voting and uh, making the Obama 08 campaign so successful. Um, So that's what I did. After the campaign, I went to my local nonprofit association. I said, hey, I am just out of college and an Obama 08 alumni. uh, And I would like to teach your nonprofits how to use this new thing called social media. It's Twitter and these things called a hashtag. Um, and much to my surprise in my young life, they said, yeah, absolutely. Come on over. Uh, and I became their director of communication over time. And that was a huge part of my role was teaching nonprofits how to use at the time, these really new tools to mobilize new audiences, to reach new people and, uh, change the way we were fundraising. Right. So it's a really interesting time to come up. Uh, and a really interesting time for Giving Tuesday to come up too, right? Because that was happening right around the same time.
0: Yeah, so so I think just before we got into Giving Tuesday, at the time when you started getting into um, using digital tools for um, um, fundraising, obviously perceptions on social media were quite different than perceptions. After 2016, 2017, 2018, it was a very different vibe, wasn't it? And the perception is
2: sort of coming back again now, it is. right? Like it, with the, the quote unquote implosion possible, implosion social media or the fragmentation rather with everyone headed off into different platforms. I'm, I'm hearing echoes of that conversation a little bit, right? Is social media dying? Is it a waste of my time? At, at, at the time back in 2012, uh, adoption was slow really slow. And I, I don't, it's fascinating.
0: I've just read these this, this numbers from uh, from the U.S. about uh, the number of social network sites uh, users uh, overtaking the number of TV viewers in 2025 in the U.S. And that's the first time in history that there's a bigger audience on yeah. TV in the U.S. anywhere else other than on TV. Yeah.
2: Fascinating. So I think
0: I think we're back. I think we're back. back and um we're back after a few bumps and a few hurdles, and um, it was quite interesting to see also the recent kind of like shake ups between X, Twitter, uh, Threads, and how it took a character like Hill Max to uh, rehabilitate Mark Zuckerberg and seeing a lot of people pretending to leave Twitter to go and join Threads. And uh, and how the whole space now, I think, is more rebalanced because of that movement. But it was quite interesting to see that shift in perceptions.
2: And I think we're going to continue to see that over the years. Right. I keep getting asked this, like what, where from the nonprofits, where should I focus my time? Where should I focus my time? It's going to depend on where your audience is. And that has always been true. But at least now we have a plethora of options, right? I think folks are going to find their platform and that's where they're going to stay. And I'm interested to see how this goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same. I feel like we've gone through a few years of like the, the dark ages post 2016 and Cambridge Analytica and all of that. And now we're kind of like out of that tunnel and people have a much more balanced view of what is the good and what is the bad that comes with this platform. And we just adapted as a species to a whole new environment that, Basically, as like a bus for the first like ten years of like the second ten years of the, of the notice, effectively, and now we're kind of like on the other side.
2: Which is an insane timeline for all of this to have happened, by I the know. way, right? Like the whole history of human civilization and society, and and in this very short, in my mind, time period. 10 years, effectively.
0: The speed, yeah, the speed that is taken yeah. for us to renegotiate our private spaces, our public spaces, how we define ourselves, how we perceive ourselves in conjunction with society, but also how much we can see of society thanks to social media, which we couldn't see before. Because so you think about it, when you right. have like monodirectional media, you your sources for understanding society around you are very mediated by institutions, by studies, by you know, yeah. people writing about it, but you don't see it first end, like when you go on Twitter or X or on, on Instagram and you just identify trends in society without even knowing that you're doing trend research, basically, but that's what yeah. you're actually doing. Um, so how, um, you know, Giving Tuesday, obviously, amazing concept. For the listeners that are not familiar with it, if there's anyone on the planet, Valinda is not. Can you give us a quick introduction to that? And Then I want to talk about how it came about within a specific context of social media in 2008,
2: 2009. Sure. So it's uh, early 2012. It's probably mid 2012. My colleagues, uh, Asha Curran and Henry Timms, are at the 92nd Street Y. They're having a conversation about how, you know, we have these two quote unquote holidays here in the United States. We have Cyber Monday, Black Friday. They're two days for celebrating consumerism. Not so much celebrating. It's more like, uh, get all the deals. Oh, how many deals can I get on this stuff that I frankly don't need? Uh, and they said, what if we flipped that on its head? What if we, can you create a holiday, first of all? And if you can create a holiday, Could we create a holiday where it celebrates the opposite of that? All of that getting. Could we uh, come up with a day where we celebrate human generosity and the act of giving? And it turns out that you can. This was, again, early Twitter days. So it took a little while to convince people that, yes, we want you to type hashtag giving Tuesday. Yes, pound giving Tuesday. Type it into your computer. Uh, (laughs) So we had that whole barrier of education to go through, which was quite a bit of fun. But people really latched onto it quickly, right? It was this uh, unique time, this uh, the right zeitgeist, right, for this to have happened. And people latched onto it and they took it somewhere new. Right. Folks in rural cities in America started doing their own versions of Giving Tuesday. Uh, and then countries all over the world, I think the UK was our first country, Canada, UK, and then it started splittering off. Uh, into countries all over the world. So we have official movements in, I think, 90 countries now. We're on our way to 100 nations of folks who've raised their hand and said, I really like this concept of creating a moment, uh, a a galvanizing moment in my country to celebrate all the ways that we as humans uniquely participate in society through generosity, not just charitable giving, which you're going to hear me talk about a lot over the the next hour. and they create really unique activations that are authentic to the people who live there and unique expressions of celebrating our common humanity.
0: And obviously these was quite revolutionary at the time because um you know what what you would have seen historically up to that point was that charitable giving um was um in the hands of um, a few wealthy donors and it was about networking and it was about lobbying and it was about who you knew. So it was a job for like wealthy people that could connect to other wealthy people and point them to a cause. So it was quite a top-down experience.
2: Yep, I mean, yeah, you people would sit down at their desk and write a check and stick it in the mail and then maybe receive a handwritten thank you two months later, right? It was very, yeah. very old power way of doing things. Um, and Henry Timms, I'm going to plug his book. I do this every time. Uh wrote a book called New Power, which is about just what you just talked about, how, how we whipped that on its head and adopt a new power way of, uh, of being and expressing and, uh, conducting ourselves organizationally.
0: Um, really wonderful. So that, that, that's, I mean, obviously that's inspiring, uh, and exciting, even like 10 years later, it's still exciting just thinking about it, but, um like with any shift in power there's always um a bunch of resistance right so yeah. that's the first thing that i can think about is when you started teaching people on how to bring in the crowds into this process did you did you experience any resistance to a new paradigm um that was oh, shift yeah. from the organizations where they like not equipped to deal with it non they didn't know how to use social media or they were like ideologically against the idea of even doing it.
2: Oh, all of those things. And I, and I still think all of those things are true, right? Anytime you introduce something different, it takes oh, yeah. folks a while yeah. to come along. Um, but I, I do think it happened faster with Giving Tuesday than it has with other revolutionary moments. Um, folks were really weirded out by the concept of, well, wait, what do you mean I am going to accept donations online. I don't think this is going to work. This is a trend. It's a fad. It's going to disappear, was what they would tell me. And here we are in 2023 with online giving. Uh, absolutely not disappearing. And in fact, I think becoming more critical to a way we run our organizations. And I think it always will yeah. be.
0: We'll get we'll get to that. Um, we'll definitely get to that because that's a trajectory that I want to explore in terms of like what happens next. But Um, I want to go back to that moment when, you know, you started to experience a seismic change in the way generosity is done. And uh, effectively, what you start seeing is that the audience of generosity, the people that care about generosity, then become the actors of generosity as well. So it becomes like a very empowering uh, moment. uh, But as any kind of like shift in those kind of like... um, uh, in the prominence of the people that care about something uh, what you see is also a, a is a very different audience coming into the mix that is actually an active audience so if you go back to the moment what was the perception in terms of like you know the crowds that were getting involved how were they different from the way fundraising attracted people before like what was the well, if you can remember, what was the main change?
2: I mean, it completely, it completely blasted the right. windows open, right? Because now we have, now we have mechanisms for reaching brand new people who are not, who've never heard of our mission before in their lives. Uh, people all over the world, people from every demographic you can even imagine, uh, being a potential audience member for you uh, to take action on, uh, moving the needle on your cause with you, right? So it just completely revolutionized everything. And we go from a world where people are writing checks and it's the, it, you have a very distinct profile of who that person is. You know exactly who that person is to a completely different world. And I think that has still taken, to this day, still taking nonprofits a while to learn how to deal with this, right?
0: Let's talk about that profile for a second because that's when the audience of generosity becomes interesting. What was, if there was one, or if there was like a couple, what was the generosity persona before you blew things out with, uh, with, with just, with Tuesday?
2: Um, I think it depended on the nonprofit, but the profile tended to be some old white dude writing a check, right? And now we've got an opportunity for absolutely everyone to get involved in the expression of generosity. I think that's the thing that Giving Tuesday uniquely does. Uh, there are giving days, right? There have been giving charitable giving days even before Giving Tuesday's existence, but the difference right. with what we're doing uh, is that we're celebrating every single possible act of generosity by everyone, right? Uh, I get this question a lot, is is the... Mission of Giving Tuesday to be the Guinness world record breaking crowdfunding day of all time. And we consistently are that every time. But that's not our mission, right? Our mission is to build a world that's rooted in radical generosity. This notion that we can create a world where somebody else's suffering is intolerable to me as my own suffering. And what if we create a world where people are kinder to each other? They're more patient with each other. They're constantly thinking about what it is that they can do to help, not themselves, but help others. And that's what Giving Tuesday is here to do. It's here to, ex- to build the world that we all know to be possible, right? To mobilize everyday individuals to create this world together.
0: That's a pretty, that's a really amazing mission. And, um, and, and obviously a very challenging to, um, to push because you end up having to appeal to a very diverse range of people that become relevant for your fundraising mission. So how did you in, well, today, but also in the past when, when you guys started doing, um, Giving Tuesday, how did you, um, identify a type of audience that you wanted to be relevant to and then how did you go after them? Was it like a kind of like a specific set of kind of like personas that you went after and what were they or did you just kind of like uh, try and be as general as you could to be able to bring everybody in?
2: We went with the latter because this is so big and we are literally trying to appeal to every single person on the planet, the marketing 101 stuff about audience personas, just, it's not possible for us. It's possible for nonprofits. It's not possible for us as Giving Tuesday. So we have to, and that that's okay, because the overarching message resonates with absolutely every human on the planet, that we can build a better society by simply activating on the common value that we all have in common anyway, of generosity and helping each other and giving back. So it's a little different for us, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty cool, actually. And that's quite refreshing to to hear it kind of like laid out like that, because today is everything about personalization, yeah. or is about like targeting specific um, specific scenarios and specific use cases and specific profiles. But what you're saying is that with the broad appeal of your mission, as big as it is, you need to be able to appeal to the basic fundamental truths of social and human existence. And yep. so you're like appealing to that giving, uh kind of like giving and gifting um um kind of like propensity that is in within all of us. Uh but obviously that there's like different triggers that um uh, and motivations that um that that get people to um activate themselves in that regard. Is that something that over the years you've seen being the 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 main motivators that have been driving people all along? Has those have those motivations changed over the last ten years? As the audiences have kind of like changed and morphed and evolved online, uh, or is it still just one fundamental trigger that works for everyone and that's what you guys do?
2: That's a big question. I think it's changed drastically <laughs> over the years, right? I mean. Uh, It used to be that you'd just write a check and go about your day. And then we've had this explosion of crowdfunding platforms and Kickstarter and Indiegogo. You remember that one? GoFundMe and all of these platforms available to our disposal. I think fundraising changes absolutely a lot. Um, And the motivations for somebody to give, though, I don't know that that's changed all that much.
0: Well, I'm mainly... um... I'm mainly looking at, you know, the 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 differences between uh, campaigning for um, urgency when there's a crisis to tackle versus campaigning for uh, moral duty or campaigning for empowering people within um, within a certain cause. Or um, or simply kind of like appealing directly to the people that care about a specific cause, like have you seen any shifts in that uh, in that sense of what works um today and and what is getting more people to the table basically like' because I also can see the trends changing with the economic context changing around us for example, right now we are in a climate of um crisis, so anything that has to do with urgency maybe tends to go over people's head because the situation is pretty extreme. Um, What's your view on that?
2: Um, I think urgency is always gonna work. It has always worked. I don't know that that's always the right decision to be making. Just because we should be appealing with urgency doesn't necessarily mean that we should be doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have to be getting smarter about the way that we're telling stories. I think we have to be centering the communities that we're serving more so than this notion of creating a, a narrative art where the donor is the, the hero of the story, right? Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in the way we're designing our appeals. And I'm excited to see how that ends up panning out over the next few years.
1: This episode is sponsored by Pulsar what is pulsar pulsar uses ai to analyze live data from the web and the media to help you understand people at scale and with nuance we're talking about social media like x instagram reddit pinterest youtube as well as search data and any media from tv and radio to print news and podcasts and of course you can bring your own audience data like npr or crm to analyze alongside everything else Brands like Amazon, agencies like McCann, media outlets like The Guardian, and organizations like the UN use Pulsar to understand their audiences and create products and messages that matter to them. If you'd like to get a live signal from your audience, get in touch at pulsarplatform.com.
0: Have you seen seen a change as the audience has um, become the main protagonist of um, charitable giving? Have you seen also a shift in what causes get funded and where the attention is? And basically, you know, because the demographics of who's donating is now incredibly different from what it was like 20 years ago. Sure. What's happening?
2: Oh, I mean, it's changed. It's changed drastically over the years, but it changes so often it's hard to make any broad uh, correlations. Um if things like education are always insanely popular things like human oh, rights are always insanely popular. I will say I've seen more interest in social justice work lately um which I'm personally glad to hear. I think that's a testament to all kinds of things that have happened to us across mm-hmm. our world in the most recent years, but I think folks are more attuned in to the kind of inequalities and where we need to be funding to get at the root of those. Yeah. Right. And really super excited to see how that pans out in the next few years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that and also there's another kind of like interesting um space to navigate, which is the difference between um what people say they care about and what they actually ended up um donating to. So yeah. um from from what Pulsar looks at things, obviously you have a pretty good understanding of what are the types of causes that people talk about the most. But if you just do that, you end up seeing, for example, stuff like animal welfare being the second biggest uh, type of cause that people talk about and disasters being the smallest one. And, um, you know, without applying any value judgments, clearly there is uh, a bit of a misalignment between the urgency uh potentially of like where most kind of like lives are going to be lost if you act one or the other. But do you see that kind of like imbalance to be reflected in the way people then act or is this just another layer that you need to navigate to understand how to position what you do?
2: Yeah, that's it, Fran. I think there's just a lot more work to be done to figure all this out.
0: Because I, I find it fascinating, like cause social media is a bit like fashion, right? People want to be... um seen saying the things they're saying. They're just wearing words like they were clothes effectively. So you need to interpret what you see as being said as a, a, a kind of like a representation of people that is society than directly the behavior, but it still tells you a lot about what what people care about. Yeah. So I still find it amazingly interesting that um animal welfare is one of the biggest causes that people talk about together with like health and and healthcare. Um and um have you seen any drastic changes pre, between pre and post pandemics in terms of like the audience that get involved in what they care about?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, since 2016, I think we started to see it, right? Like all the rage giving that happened here in the wake of the Trump election uh, in the U.S., which kind of slowly morphed into the kind of crisis type of giving that was happening during the pandemic. Um And both of those things are super related, right? People giving out of some kind of an emotional response. Uh, Yeah. The thing that I'm looking forward to most this year, hopefully, uh, is that we return to giving as a response to joy and an expression of joy, right? People find find tremendous joy in giving. It makes them happy. That's why you do it. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to bringing that back And I hope that we can be an instrumental. I know we can be instrumental in sort of bringing that back, because when something brings you a lot of joy, you want to do it again and again. What else did we see during the pandemic? We hear a lot of philanthropy experts talking about a rise in mutual aid during the pandemic, which I actually argue is not a rise at all. The concept of mutual aid has existed probably across the course of human history, right? This notion of neighbors directly helping neighbors, bringing a lasagna to someone who was shut in, this kind of community building, like erecting our own social safety nets, which is something that I'm super excited and pleased to see. And I hope that that doesn't disappear. I know it's not going to disappear. I think that's singularly the one good thing to come out of the pandemic if you want to be that type of person who sees silver lining in things. Um, And what we're seeing is that people don't want to just press a donate button and move on with their day anymore. I don't think, I think that's another singular effect of the pandemic that we've been seeing over the course of many years now, but I think it's really come to a head now. Lots of hand-wringing in the sector over like donations being down, donations being down. But what I, I think it's a testament to the fact that people just don't want to press a donate button and and walk away anymore. People want to be deeply involved in creating these kind of systemic change. They want to be involved in organizations in a bigger and more impactful way than just giving money. They want to give their talents, they want to give their skills, their network and their time. And I think we're entering a world where savvy nonprofits are coming up with ways to involve their supporters in more meaningful ways than simply writing a check and going on with their day.
0: And this is fascinating because this is actually an aspect that we see across society. For example, in, 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 in kind of like in the workforce, you see this again and again, where like um, people joining companies when they understand and share the purpose of the company, but nobody's really just going for a job unless they're desperate for one. Um, and, uh, this idea of having a purpose and seeing, uh, focusing on the outcome of your behaviors rather than just your behavior, obviously in charity is quite big. Yeah. Are charities and generally like organizations that do philanthropy prepared to handle this? Can you, do you have any examples in mind of organizations that are doing a great job at this? Yeah. Because it's a pretty big change to bring the audience in, you know?
2: it's it's a it's a massive change and i do worry that it's going to take some folks to come along but we need to be inviting people into our missions in stronger ways and providing many on ramps to enter into the mission right i think nonprofits need to be creating moments where people can actually physically get involved in their mission you need to invite people in to volunteer to give their time in other ways there are are there remote opportunities uh that people can help you achieve your mission
0: yeah there's almost like there's almost like the feeling of um charitable organization looking at audiences as um stakeholders whereas um and stakeholders that they need to start reporting to and provide updates on progress and involve in that progress i think like you know this is a completely different um sector but in entertainment uh, what you see is that the job that has been done and it continues to be done on fandoms for example is quite interesting in that respect where fans over the last 30 years have become uh have gone from being a kind of like a, a threat to the owners of the ip or whatever entertainment um um uh idea was out there to becoming actually co-owners of that IP and actually becoming almost like investors in that. Yes. Yes. Co-ownership.
2: We have been yelling about this for 10 years now at Giving Tuesday. I think nonprofits need to be thinking about their supporters and their stakeholders as exactly this. Can you create a fandom for your mission? Can you create an army of individuals who will go to bat for you and help you get word out about your mission, help you... Walk hand in hand uh, with you. Uh,
0: it's. I think this is really exciting.
2: Absolutely critical to all of us as we as we move forward.
0: I think this is really exciting. This this idea of like deploying the fandom um, framework within the the the, the um, generosity um, space is quite crucial because people are generally passionate about the causes that they support. It's just that they haven't got the tools to make a difference other than donating yeah. money and yeah. um i but think they do
2: now but they do but, but they do now right and i think yeah. that's what savvy and savvy nonprofits need to start pulling up ways for them to be empowered to go help right yeah
0: i think there's a there's a there's a narrative that risks um um damaging the impetus that can come from this idea of of of, of um you know involving um uh, supporters of causes as co-owners and fans of that specific mission and is the, the narrative that in um in a recession and in times of crisis individual donations go down and um and you end up defaulting back to the big wealthy donors that contribute the majority of the donations and uh, while studies show that obviously there's no um direct correlation between a recession and a decrease in 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 um in donations, uh, a narrative is quite powerful. So a narrative can actually make people think it's not up to me anymore. I can sit back and it's someone else's job to get um, to get this sorted. So do you see a danger of that happening or you think that now that the cat is out of the bag with social media and people as corners, of course. Fran, I don't. I,
2: I I don't. I don't think we're going to go back to a world of institutional philanthropy being king. I mean, their their payout rates are proving that itself, right? Um, Giving Tuesday, last year, we raised $3.1 billion for U.S. charities in 24 hours. That was exclusively, almost exclusively, $50 to $100 donations from regular individuals, right? And then times that by the 100 nations that we have Giving Tuesday in now. I don't think we're ever going back to a world where People, individual people, are the bearers and the people in charge of 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 creating systemic
0: change. That sounds that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a positive trajectory. It sounds, it sounds like a positive um, hope for what's coming next. And um, but I think we need to keep kind of like finding that flame to make sure that people see that that is where things are going. And um, they don't stop pushing because that's the only way that you're going to keep this thing alive.
2: And that they can affect change, right? Yeah. We need to keep showing people how they can.
0: Yeah. Um, Kat, I wanted to thank you for the time with us today. Um, I think that with that one, uh, which is great news, I'm afraid that is all we have time for today. Um, thanks again for joining us and for your insight and experience on generosity and, um, and Giving Tuesday. Uh, and thank you for the work that you do. It's just amazing oh. and game changing and makes a huge difference every year.
2: Well, it's um, the honor of a lifetime. So I thank you.
0: Till next time. Thank you.
1: We've been listening to The Audiences Podcast, the podcast that helps you discover new audiences and learn how to develop your own. Me and the team would love to hear your feedback on the episode and on the podcast in general. Let us know which audiences we should explore next or anyone we should get on the show. Do reach out on our social media or email us at hi at audiences.podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe. Till next time.